Job chapter 40. We're nearing the end of the book of Job. Job chapter number 40. Job chapter 40. I'm hesitant. I rarely do this from year to year, but I, I would ask if you would. I'm trying to prepare for mid-September to mid-November. Uh, um, outside of our church, I'll be preaching in a number of churches. Sometimes it's two meetings a week. And would you pray? I did uh, this year, it may not appear because we've actually been sick, Amanda and I have, some early in the year than even recent. And um, I did actually keep some months open and some spans of time open. Um, but when we hit about mid-September, it will get very busy. And I wish you would pray that we'll prepare adequately to preach to you on Sundays and and um, you'll be here on Wednesdays when we get started there. Of course, our missions conference falls in there. But you'll be hearing from these preachers in our church during all those weeks. So we would appreciate your prayers. Job 40, God's speech continues here. Job 40, let's read the chapter. Do just a little bit of reminding of us. And then we're going we're gonna to cover chapter 40. And may even read chapter 41. I doubt it, but we may. Let's see how far we get. Job 40, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold every one that is proud, and abase him. Look on every one that is proud, and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together, and bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. Behold now behemoth which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as big pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. <laughs> He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring, bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fins. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes, his nose pierceth 
through the snares. God's speech continues. You remember after Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, after they finished all their slanderous accusations, all of their assumptions about Job, they knew more about Job's business than Job knew. You remember whenever they they summed up all of what they thought about Job and his life and while he was suffering, you remember the young man, Elihu, stepped in in chapters 32 to 37 of Job, and he pointed Job to God. He proved to be a friend to him. As Elihu was finishing his speech, you remember we, we took two or three nights. Go back to chapter number 36 just as a reminder. You remember he said two things about God. He said, number one, he said, he said, Job, remember this, God is mighty. And he said, Job, remember this, God is good. You remember that? Chapter 36, verse 5, this is the young man still speaking. He's bringing all of his, all of his speech to, to these two areas. Verse number 5 of chapter 36, Elihu said, Behold, God is mighty, despiseth not any. Nobody influences God over the other. Look at verse number 26. Behold, God is great. You will remember those couple of nights we looked at that phrase in that particular section. We spoke of teaching these toddlers to pray at the table. uh, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. It's good to put it in their hearts while they're little. that God's good and God is great. Elihu, used of God, puts it back in Job's heart. Further, Elihu reminded Job in chapter 36 in that first division that God exercises power over humanity. And then the second section, God exercises power over nature. After Elihu, after he concludes speaking with Job, God began speaking to Job. You remember that? Chapter 38 and following. God speaks to Job. He unveils his majesty and his might. He does that even again here in this passage in chapter number 40. He reminds Job and lets him to know as he speaks personally to Job of his lordship and his rulership, his control and his oversight. Chapter 38, verse 1 is when the Lord began speaking to Job. It simply begins, then the Lord answered Job. And he commences his longest recorded speech in all the Bible. I don't know about you, but I find ample foundation, logical foundation, uh, for my faith to rest in in these chapters where God speaks. Some of us will remember when we were growing up, we'd hear the local Uh, We'd hear the commercial on the local stations. You know, some of us didn't have but one station. Some of us had two stations. And some of us had three. Can I get a witness? Uh, It was Tupelo, and you might get a Memphis channel. Uh, You might get two Memphis channels. But you remember the commercial. Some of you will. The the investment firm, uh, E.F. Hutton, said at the helm of, they would come on the commercial and they would say, when E.F. Hutton speaks and there could be a room full of whispers, everybody get silent. Well, here God is speaking now. Satan has spoken. Job's wife spoke in chapter 2. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar have spoken and spoken and spoken and spoken. Been so critical and judgmental of Job. 
Then Elihu spoke and pointed him back toward God. Now God comes on the heels of that, and God begins to speak. What hope and comfort we find in him. What rest and peace that we are afforded as we listen to God as, as he speaks to Job. Now let me remind us, because we won't, we won't visit the book of Job now for some time, unless we allude to it while preaching. Once we get out of the book of Job, we'll be gone. We'll move to another, another book of the Bible, and I suspect it'll be a New Testament book. But before looking at and, and being reminded of what God said to Job, may I remind you another time. We did this one service. But may I remind us of what God did not say to Job. He didn't offer Job an explanation as to what has happened in his life. God didn't do that. You would have thought God would have done that, wouldn't you? He didn't do that. God didn't even offer Job sympathy in the midst of his pain. He didn't apologize to Job for his sorrow, for his grief, nor for his suffering. He did not tell Job of the two meetings in heaven as he and Satan discussed him. He did not tell Job of Satan's accusations against him, nor of how he spoke for him and recommended him to the trials. He didn't speak to him about that. He didn't talk to Job about why evil exists in this world. He didn't talk to him about why bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. You'll drive yourself crazy trying to figure all that out. Matter of fact, theologians have been grappling with it for ages. It's the issue of theodicy. God being God, why does he allow evil in this world? We know why evil exists in this world. It's because Adam. It's because of Adam's sin and the fall of the Adamic race. And so much more is brought into that. But though God didn't talk to Job about some of the things we would have probably talked to him about, God did not throw Job away. He did not turn his back on him. He knew that Job would be as low as he was in chapter 3 and in chapter 10. And he still said about him in chapter 1 and chapter 2 what he said. The patience of Job is brought up by James in the New Testament. And we've heard sermons and you've heard sermons about the patience of Job from chapter number 5 of James. But perhaps the patience of God is what ought to be underlined. God was patient with Job. He knew he'd get a lot right. He knew he'd get a lot wrong in the midst of it. And God loved him through it. I may quote Brother Doug Jones again at another juncture in this evening's message. And I never will forget the first time I heard him when he, when he asked, who do you know that knows as much about you and yet loves you like God loves you? He knew who Job was when he asked, Satan, hast thou considered my servant, my servant, like a proud father speaking of his son? Nobody like him in all the earth, he said. Nobody. Nobody just like Job. Job didn't get in trouble because of what he did wrong. He got in trouble because of who he was in the sight of God. This section where God speaks to Job, it's, it's a rebuke and a challenge for sure for Job. 
But for me personally, it's a resting place for my faith. Matter of fact, if I had a songbook and knew which number, I'd read to you like I do sometimes the, the words to the old hymn, My Soul Has Found a Resting Place. I'm glad for what God said to Job because he says that to all of us. God begins speaking. Look back with me, if you will, chapter number 38. And I'll promise you, we're getting to chapter 40. And what we'll do is be brief with chapter 40 tonight. But look back with me, if you will. Chapter 38, verses 1 through 3, is God began speaking. There's God's rebuke of Job, verses 1 and 2. Then there's his challenge to him in verse 3. And he's going to challenge him again in this chapter that is before us. Look at God's rebuke, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Job, who do you think you are muddying the water like you have? Your counsel, your ill-informed mind, who do you think you are? In other words, when he asked Job, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Job, you're obscuring things. You're mixing things up in the wrong way. Job um, had not seen his suffering clearly. His friends had not. He had not as well. There were times where he was very weak. He had not spoken rightly about his sufferings, his information is limited, you know. He didn't know about those heavenly meetings. He didn't know the purpose of it all. His knowledge was limited. His information was limited. It's that way with us, you know. Whether we're suffering or we're looking on at another suffering, our knowledge of the intimate details of it all is limited. I may pass you by and you may have a flat on the side of the highway and I may think I know and can sum it up and write it down for you. There may be more to what's going on on the side of the road. If that makes any sense at all. Notice the challenge to Job chapter 38, verse number 3. This is as God began speaking. He said in verse number 3 of chapter 38, when he began his speech, gird up now thy loins like a man. For I will demand of thee and answer thou me. You know how that when a man, when he, when he would begin work, he would take the, the bottom hem of his garment, he'd gather it up and he'd tie it up so that it would not impede his labor and his work or his walk. And he says, Job, uh, grab the bottom of your hem, pull it up, get ready. I want you to stand up here like a man. You wanted an audience with me? You've got an audience with me now. The Lord's telling Job, get ready. And then he began asking Job some 77 questions. You remember that? Chapter 38, verses 1 to 38. I'm just going to give you a synopsis of that. He asked him, and asking all those questions in chapter number 38, verses 1 to 38, Job, do you understand creation? Can you explain it back to me? You want to talk to me? Let's start right there. Talk to me, Job. You want to challenge me? I challenge you. Talk to me about creation. Tell me all about it, Job. If you can understand all of creation, perhaps you can understand enough to speak. And in my court, the power and the wisdom of God is underlined in this section. You remember he spoke about several subjects regarding creation. He spoke to Job and questioned him 
about the earth, about the oceans, about the seas, about the sun, about light, about darkness, about snow, about hail. The atmosphere, the stars, and the constellations, and Job remained silent. He remained silent. If he'd been handed a piece of paper, I guess he would have turned it in blank. If God knows all about all the intricate details of his creation, rest assured tonight, child of God, he knows all about you. He knows all about you. Job remained silent. Chapter number 38, verse 39, through chapter 39, throughout chapter 39, verse 30, which is the last verse of it. He says, Job, do you understand? Can you oversee my creation? Can you sustain it? My creatures of the earth, they are God's creatures. His providential care, feeding birds and deer and wild goats and the lion and and all that he has created is, is brought into account here. He said, Job, you want an audience with me? Let's talk, son. You haven't backed me in a corner. But I'm going to back you in one. He said, let's talk, Job. God here speaks to Job about six different animals and five different birds of the planet. You remember the, the animals are the lion, the wild goats, the hind, the wild ass, the unicorn, and the horse. The birds, which are five he talked to, were about were the raven, the peacock, the ostrich, the hawk, and the eagle. Job remained silent. Again, he would have turned in a blank piece of paper. You can't talk to him about even the the raven which is despised. Yet God says, I feed him. I tend to him. I made him. I tagged a purpose along to him. I think it was the ostrich we were talking about when he talked about the ostrich and said so many things about the ostrich. You know, next time you go to the zoo and you look at him as odd as he looks and you wonder, now what in the world was God thinking when he created the ostrich? He had something in mind that fascinates me. That he has something in mind. I watch little short video clips. I'm fascinated by wildlife. You ever see those mountain rams? A leopard or something can be chasing him. He'll just drop off about a story or two and land on a rock on the side of a cliff. And I think to myself, God knew what he had in mind when he made that old boy. He said, Job, talk to me about it. You won't talk to me about how I run my universe. Talk to me. Job remained silent. Remember, he talked to Job about tending to them, even delivering the wild goats, their young, and the hinds, which are the deer, their goats, and tending to the birth of all of them. If God can feed them and tend to them, God can feed you, and he can tend to you, dear heart. I want you to notice with me in chapter number 40, verses 1 to 5. Notice with me, God, um, he pauses in his speech here. He's going to pause for Job's response in verses 1 to 5. He'll prompt Job in verses 1 and 2. Look at this. 
He has said all he said. And then in verses 1 and 2, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? Shall he reproveth God? Let him answer it. Job, your turn. That's what he says. Tell me what you wanted to tell me. Get it off your chest, Job. Talk to me about what I want to talk about. Instead of us talking about what you want to talk about, let's talk about what I want to talk about, Job. Tells him to speak up. He says, I'm waiting. God doesn't have to get in a hurry. Job, you have anything to say now? Let's have it, Job. Verses 3 to 5, Job offers a brief response to God. Verses 3, 4, and 5 Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. He said, Lord, my offering is I have nothing to offer you. I don't know what I thought I knew. I don't know near, God, what I thought I knew. I don't believe I can address the subjects you have brought before me. I have nothing to say. Job testifies, number one, to his insignificance. He speaks of his own weakness and smallness and fickleness and sinfulness. He said in verse number four, he said, I'll sum it up for you, God. I am vile. Behold, I'm vile. In verse number four and verse number five, he speaks of his own inability. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. I won't do it again, Lord. I won't do it again. It's amazing how God gets his attention. It's amazing how he does that, isn't it? He didn't twist his arm up behind his back and flick more pain on him. He just brings him to a place where he has to recognize that God is God. And beside him, there is none other. Job's talked throughout the book of Job. He's talked especially to Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. He's defended himself. He's had a lot to say. Now he says, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've said too much already, Lord. I have nothing to, nothing to say. You remember in a couple of chapters, he's frustrated with the silence of God. We often refer to trials when the heavens seem as though they're brass. In other words, God doesn't seem to be saying anything. Now, God says something and Job sits in silence, has nothing to say. He's doing like all of us have done a time or two in life. He sees clearly that he can't see near as clearly as he thought he could. Here's where I quote Brother Doug Jones again. Brother Doug has said for years, it's what you learn after you know it all that really counts. Job's known it all. Now he don't know anything. Have you ever heard someone say, I used to have all the answers to the questions and now I don't even know the questions. As a matter of fact, we, we think we're learning and we're strong when we're young, plenty of zeal, no wisdom to balance it. For the most part, then about time you go to learning something, it's time to go to heaven. 
you would think that would be enough, wouldn't you? You would think, now Job, according to other chapters in, in the book of Job, he's lost a drastic amount of weight. He suffers from insomnia. He has the sore balls from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. If you were to look at his eyes, there are dark circles under his eyes. He does not look like himself. He said about the 23rd chapter, I believe it is, you look on me and you see my suffering. You hear my groaning, but it's worse than you hear and it's worse than you can see. And now God has spoken. He said to Job, talk to me. And Job said, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. I've already said too much. You would think that would be enough, wouldn't you? Not so with God. He knows when enough is enough. In chapter number 40, verses 6 to 14, he asked Job, Job, is it, is it the throne you want, Job? Is that what you want? You want to run the thing? Will you forgive me if I tell you about a weak moment in the first pastorate? I didn't know they'd been meeting in the community to get rid of me. I did not know that. I was sitting over there on a Sunday night. The song leader got up, led the singing like normal and then commenced to throw a fit and said, look, said, there's people around here we've never laid eyes on before. And said, we as deacons feel like we need to call a vote of confidence on the preacher. If he doesn't get the vote of confidence, it's time to dismiss him. I had not been saved that long. I was still about half mean. Then he gave the service back to me, and I said, won't you come preach? You said, preacher, you didn't do that. I did do it. God calls on Job. He says, Job, we're not letting up right now. He calls on him here. Chapter number 40, verses 6 to 14. He said, the throne, that's what you want, huh, Job? You want to run it? You think you know more about it than I do? You think I've been unfair and unjust to you? The throne's what you want, you come take it. Let's read these verses 6 to 14. You'll get the idea of this, and we'll look at just a couple of the verses for time's sake. Um, verses 6 to 14. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man, and I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. Remember, he did that in chapter 38 when he began. Told him to get ready, gird his loins like a man. I will demand of thee, and you're going to answer me, Job. Declare thou unto me, said. Watch this, verses 8 to 14. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. That's the attire of God, you see. He said, I handle the prideful every day. Verse 11, cast abroad the rage of thy wrath and behold everyone that is proud and abase him. You do that. Take the reins, Job. Drive it a while. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. For time's sake, look at verse number 8. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? You see, when, when Job complained a couple of different times, he felt as though he was an innocent man that had been sentenced. What he's saying is, God hasn't handled my case justly. 
Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Job, you think I've treated you unjustly? You challenge my justice? The, the second question he asked in verse 8, Wilt thou condemn me? Wilt thou, Job, condemn me, God? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Job, do you have to make me wrong? To somehow try to make your standing right before your friends? Is that what it's come to, Job? We're all self-preservationists, aren't we? You let a kid get caught doing something, he'll blame his brother or sister. You let a man uh, be found at fault, he'll blame his wife, his wife him, or whatever the case would be. Neighbors blame each other. We shift the blame. Matter of fact, we see a lot of that in our society, don't we? All uh, this victim mentality. I think I touched on this Sunday, but life is a gift. It's not a right. As citizens of this country, this state, and this county, you have some rights, but life is a gift. Life itself is a gift. God can take it back anytime he wants to. He, he gave it to you. Life is a gift. Somehow we think that God made a mistake because of the family we were birthed into or the part of the country we live in or because of the circumstances we've been dealt or because of our lot in life. Job, you don't think I do right? You don't think I've done right by you? Job knew before the storm or God knew about Job's storm before it ever hit him. Knew well about it. It already been discussed in heaven. Look at verse number 9. Hast thou an arm like God? Job, do you want to compare your might to my might? Verse number 9, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Job, can you thunder like I thunder? Again, Job thought that he wasn't being treated justly. Or in other words, he thought he was not being treated fairly. We don't think that through, do we? Do you know if we're treated fairly, that means we get justice. You don't want justice and I don't either. None of us want the justice of God. We all are moved when we hear a brother or sister testify to the mercies of God or the grace of God or the forgiveness of God. Um, one lady complained to her photographer and said, you, you didn't do me justice. She got her proofs back, said, you didn't do me justice. He said, ma'am, you don't need justice. You need a lot of mercy. May we not forget that God has been merciful to us. May we not forget God's been merciful to us. In verses 10 through 14, God doesn't ask any questions there. He gives some uh, declarative statements about how he he does put the proud in their place. And that's a continual thing, and it's on his timing. And so again, he's asking Job, Job, is it the throne you're after? Verses 6 through 14. And then in verse uh, number 15 to the end of the chapter, which is verse number 24, he, he will speak to uh, Job and ask him about beh behemoth. 
behemoth, Job. Let's talk about behemoth. And then in chapter number 41, Leviathan. Job, let's talk about Leviathan. While we're talking, let's talk a while, Job. Now let's read verse number 15 to 24. Then I'm going to give you some observations about behemoth, and I may even give you an observation or two about Leviathan. Some believe that behemoth was either a hippopotamus, elephant, or a water buffalo, and that Leviathan is the crocodile. Now, personally, I don't believe that, and I'm going to show you why in a minute. Um, But notice with me, if you will, verse number 15 to 24 regarding behemoth. Verse number 15, Behold now, behemoth which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox, Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. In other words, you can't handle him, Job. You can't handle behemoth, but I can. I made him. Verse number 20. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fins. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. Behemoth. Um. Of course, you know that this is one of those passages. You can believe it a little different than me if you want to. Um, I'm convinced when we get to heaven, you sit down by the river of life or under the tree of life, and perhaps Gabriel will slip up by you and say, you know, you thought you had that right in Job 40 about behemoth, but that preacher was right. (laughs) A lot of people do believe him to be the hippopotamus looking for an explanation that we can see and understand or perhaps even the elephant, and as we mentioned, the water buffalo, but the description provided of him doesn't allow for that, does it? Look at verse number 17. Notice with me, he moveth his tail like a cedar. If you know anything about the tail of the elephant or the hippopotamus or the water buffalo, that's not a description of any of the three. Verses 18 and 19, watch this description of behemoth. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. Verse number 19, the first part, he is the chief. That word chief means the first of the ways of God, of all these created beings. He's the first, not chronologically, but in size and in strength. He's the biggest. He's the beast. If he were on the football field in a standout, we would say he's the man. That's not the hippopotamus. That's not the elephant, nor is that the water buffalo. He is the first in rank and size and in strength. And and also, um, behemoth is chief so much so that he cannot or could not be trapped. Did you hear what he said as he was closing this section? Verse number 24, watch this. He taketh it with his eyes. Watch this. His nose pierceth through snares. Evidently, there had been those that tried to snare him, tried to trap him, tried to catch him and slay him, perhaps. 
We read of what God said of Behemoth, chapter 40, verses 15 to 24. Those who believe that he's an existent animal believe him to be more believe him to be the hippo than the other two. And the jury's out, of course, but most believe that he's an extinct dinosaur, and I believe that myself. I'm convinced of it. When I was out at Hurricane next door to the church was uh, Warren Norwood lived, and some of you know what I'm talking about, and you've seen what I'm talking about. Uh, he helped build 45 Highway, the four-lane over as a stretch between South Tillaguntown, Baldwin, back up that way. He'd take empty five-gallon buckets and take a shovel, and he would scoop buckets of dirt out, put it in the five-gallon buckets, put it in the back of his truck, come home and dump it out in a pile. You know what was in that, uh, you know what was in the, that dirt he was bringing home? Shark's teeth. Fossil remains of shark. Sharks and, and other uh, mammals from sea life. You say, how in the world did that get there? Well, you know how that got there. It's right over there in the book of Genesis. The flood that Noah experienced and rode out, it was not a local flood. It was a universal flood that covered the faces of this world. And it wasn't a thing where people were knocking, saying, no, no, I've changed my mind. The Bible says it was cataclysmic, right? Uh, it, the rains were, were falling and the fountains of the deep were broken up and they went to hell that day in the shirt tail. God said enough. And evidently sharks swam over Baldwin, Mississippi. <laughs> I don't have a problem believing that. Matter of fact, he had all kind of display boards that he where he put those together, and some of them are in museums to this day. Behemoth. As a matter of fact, behemoth out of Hebrew is in the plural. You know what it means simply? Beasts. Beast. So, preacher, is that what happened to the dinosaurs? Absolutely, that's what happened to them. Absolutely. Let me just give you a thought here, and we may go to chapter 42 next Wednesday night. There's not only, not only does he say, let's talk about behemoth, but he says, Job, while we're talking, let's talk about Leviathan, which a lot of people believe to be the crocodile. You got some problems with the text if you believe that. Look at verses 19 to 21. Watch this. This animal, uh, um, this Leviathan, notice verse number one of chapter 41, canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook? Can you catch him? And he's going to describe him and talk about him all the way through these 34 verses of Job 41. It's interesting. I was reading after a couple of writers that have talked about some of the fossil findings that have been found, that there were, there were places in the anatomy, that bone structure, some that has been recovered through the years by archaeologists, where they believe that somewhere in the breast of some of these animals that there was a chamber where as they would breathe out, that, that there would be fire come forth. You say, well, now nah, it's far-fetched. Well, now what does God say about it? Look at this, Job 41, verse number 19 to 21. Out of his mouth, he's talking about Leviathan feel, uh, still. Out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his mouth go with smoke as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals and a flame goeth out of his mouth. 
He said, you can't catch him. You can't control him. Job would have been familiar with this, this animal. And I believe, too, that this is another of one of the extinct, what we know to be dinosaurs. Both of these creatures that are mentioned, both of them that are mentioned, uh, historically they were upon the face of the earth once upon a time. That's for certain. If it is the crocodile, I've never seen a fire-breathing crocodile of you. No. Look at chapter 41, verse 11. I'm interested in the last phrase. I'm going to make a statement or two and then a quote, and I'm done. Chapter 41, he's talking about Leviathan here. He asked Job in the first part of verse number 11, chapter 41, verse 11. First part, he asked, who hath prevented me that I should repay him? He says, who do I owe an explanation to? God doesn't have to explain himself to you nor to me. He says, Job, I don't have to explain myself to you. You can whine about it. You can say whatever. I don't owe you an explanation, Job. I don't have to repay you because you want an audience with me. I don't owe you anything. And then I love this. The end of verse number 11, he says, whatsoever is under the heaven is mine. The ostrich, the wild ass, the horse, the camel, the ox, it's all mine, John. You want to talk to me, Job? <laughs> I'm sure he could have gone on and said, Job, I got creatures under the sea man's never laid eyes on. I've got white tail and mule deer that's never laid eyes on a man. And Job, I feed them every day. And I'm busy and you won't ask me or talk to me about how I run my economy. Ain't going to work, is it? Listen, I rejoice in this. Matter of fact, in some of these revivals and Bible conferences I'm to preach in in coming weeks, I'm, I'm going to preach four uh, and five uh, messages from the book of Job if the Lord will help me put it together. After all that has been brought before us in creation and nature, and I'm closing I'll close with a quote from David Atkinson. He asks, have you really thought about snowflakes and raindrops and dew and wind? Have you considered the currents of oceans and the clouds passing overhead? Do you know who rules the planets and directs the lightning and the thunder? What about the lion crouching in his lair or the ostrich with her head in the sand? Can you figure out all the ways and wonders of God's creation? He made all of it. He made you down to the last detail. If God would use so much creative energy to produce snowflake designs, what do you imagine he was thinking when he was thinking of you? May we spend our days worshiping him. I go outside every night. I look over uh, toward my neighbor now since... Uh, Sally lives across the highway. Me and the Chihuahua look out there too. But before I go back in, I look straight up at the stars. I'm reminded of what the psalmist has written. Sometimes I'll go outside when it's thunderstorming and when it gets real close, lightning strikes close, I apologize to God and go back inside. I do, audibly. I marvel, I've said this to you, I say it again. I marvel that God would let his son rise in my life on a daily basis. I marvel. 
I marvel that we've always, Amanda, for 37 years now, we've had something to eat. We've kept a roof over our head. God did it for us. Something to drive. We may have had to work on it along the way. And we have a Savior to own. I marvel about it all. Somebody asked an old preacher years and years ago, said, uh, how do you continue to worship? How do you continue to go forth the way you do? He thought about it and he said, I suppose I would sum it up like this. I've never lost the wonder of it all. You remember when you first saw, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. We plan to try to take a trip one day. As a matter of fact, next year we want to try to go up when the foliage is changing up in the New England states. Amanda's wanted to make that trip for years. We're going to try to plan that next fall. We have friends that make that trip uh, biannually. Have you ever been, been brought to a place and you just... It's breathtaking. Did you know that's what we have in Christ? I say glory to God. Let's stand. We'll dismiss in prayer.